Good morning for a few more weeks. James chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 19 through 20, but I'm going to read up to 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Please bow with me in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you again for your word, for another opportunity to hear. Teach us this day, Lord. Grant us wisdom. Give us your Holy Spirit to apply this word to our hearts that we would understand that the proper way to approach hearing your word. Please lead and guide me. Give me wisdom as I speak and keep me from error. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we'll be looking at verses 19 and 20 here. We have a bit of a shift in our theme. And so we're going to break this text up today into two headings. First, the priority of righteousness. And then number two, the fruit of pride. So first, the priority of righteousness. For James, righteousness is a serious priority. He tells us in verse 20, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This gives us some insight into what James is seeking for his readers in these verses. James' desire is that believers produce righteousness. In other words, that we live lives that are pleasing to God. And we saw this as we discussed the purpose of this letter in the first sermon. As mentioned, Josephus said that James was known as James the Just because of his emphasis on righteousness. And righteousness is a theme that is interwoven throughout the entirety of this epistle. He is concerned that that Christians live out their faith in practical obedience, producing righteousness. And we have already seen this as it relates to trials. Why did James have so much to say about how we respond to trials? Because there is a righteous way to respond to trials. He wants us to live righteous lives even during our difficult trials and even during our temptations. Now, is James producing, or is he, is he promoting here works righteousness. Well, of course not. There are some people who pit James against Paul and say that they taught two different gospels, James a gospel of works and Paul a gospel of grace. But James knew just like Paul that salvation is by faith alone and he emphasizes that. But as we will see throughout the epistle of James, just like Paul, 
They taught that salvation produces good works and righteous living. In fact, we saw this in verse 18. God regenerated us so that we would be new creatures who live holy and righteous lives. He did not save us because of our obedience, but he expects obedience from those who are saved. So again, not even a hint of works righteousness here. But but a righteousness that comes after faith. A a love for God that, that leads us to obedience to him. So what is the exact context of these verses? Well, there are several things we need to understand. First, as we just saw, James wants us to produce righteousness. And second is the need for the word or scripture in producing righteousness. As we have already seen in verse 18, and we will see throughout the rest of chapter 1, James places a great emphasis on the word. He uses the word logos, which we translate word four times from verses 18 to 23. There is an emphasis on hearing, receiving, and obeying the word. There's an emphasis on the word being able to save. And in verse 25, although a different word is used, we are told that the one who is obedient to God's word will be blessed in what he does. So in other words, James has a high view of Scripture. Salvation and sanctification come through the Word. He believes with Paul that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the gospel is found where? In the Word. 2 Timothy 3.15 From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We know the word is used by God in regeneration. Verse 18. Verse 21, that the word is able to save our souls. And we are sanctified, blessed by the word. What was the prayer of Jesus in John 17, 17? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Different sanctification, this process whereby we become more like Christ. In other words, righteous living comes through the word. The word tells us how to live righteously and helps us in our journey. Now this is unpopular today in our culture. In our culture, we believe that there are many ways to please God that contradict His Word. But this is simply not the case. His Word is our standard. Nothing else is our standard. The Word is our standard. In fact, there is no standard for righteousness outside of God's law. God's law, which is contained in His Word, is the standard of righteousness. The law shows us God's standard for moral living. It shows us how to please God. And this is often referred to as the third use of the law. The idea here is that the law has three functions or uses. The first thing it does is it restrains evil. There are consequences for adultery. There are consequences for murder. 
So it restrains evil men because there are consequences from doing those things. Now, this does not restrain all people because some people don't care about consequences. And in our culture, there are not proper consequences for sins that we commit. So there's no longer this restraint. But this is one of the designs of God's law. And the second use of the law is to show us our need for Christ. As unbelievers, we look at the law of God and we say, this is impossible to obey and you are correct. But the law is a schoolmaster. It shows you that you need an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is not your own because you will, be, you will never be good enough to obey. So it shows us that, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, that we are slaves to sin, that, that we cannot obey perfectly. So it turns us to Christ where we can obtain his righteousness. But then the third use of the law is that it shows the Christian how to please God. Now, for some people, they believe that once you become a Christian, that the law is irrelevant. I've had somebody tell me once, I'm a New Testament Christian. You're quoting the Old Testament to me. Dear friends, without the law, there is no sin. Because the law is the basis of righteousness. So, so that means that as we, as we are converted, we, we turn to Christ. The law then shows us how to please God. This is why David said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. What is David saying? I, I, I love God. I want to please God. And his law, which is good, shows me how to do that. So I love it. He didn't say, what a burdensome law. I mean, I have faith. What, what do I need this law for? Because the law showed him how to please God. Consider Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and the light to my path. That's it. The law, the, the word, all of God's word is our guide for how to please God. Dear friends, if you are doing something, as we talked about earlier, in the name of love that contradicts God's law, it is unrighteous. It is not loving. What did Christ say? If you love me, keep my commands. Dear friends, we can't separate love from from law here. Why? Because how did Christ summarize the law? Love God, love your neighbor. How do I love God? Obey his law. How do I love my neighbor? Act lawfully towards them. Don't steal from them. Don't commit adultery with your neighbor's spouse. Don't kill your neighbor. Don't steal from your neighbor. There is no separation there between the law and love. But, but then, as Christians, we go beyond the law. So, so it's not just a matter of I just need to be lawful towards my neighbor. But, but we take it a step higher and, and say we even self-deny ourselves sometimes. What, what did Paul say? Not all things lawful are helpful. So, so just because I can do something doesn't mean that I should. You see, we, we go a step farther in a sense. And I don't want to spend too much time on this today because we will probably touch on this a bit next week. But the point here is that we need to understand James' high view of Scripture. 
And understanding this helps us to see what James is doing in this text. Let me explain. James is concerned that Christians live in a righteous way. Now, in light of this, he knows that the standard for righteousness is found in the Word. He knows that obedience to the Word leads to sanctification and blessedness. He knows that the Word is used to save souls. And he knows that the Word contains truth and instructions that help us to overcome disobedience to the Word. So because of James' desire for Christians to live righteously, and because he knows the word is essential to righteous living, James is concerned with how we hear and respond to the word. So James is going to do some heart surgery on us today. And it makes sense for James to address this now, after he addressed some very difficult truths. Consider the last couple of verses we covered. What did we learn? We learned that we are responsible for our own sins. We are tempted when we are drawn away by our own sinful desires. That can be a difficult pill to swallow. We were also told that God has regenerated us to be new creatures, creatures that live holy lives, creatures that resist temptation because they are no longer slaves to sin, creatures that are slaves to righteousness. This means there is an actual expectation placed upon us as born-again Christians to respond to trials biblically by resisting temptation to sin. And because we are new creatures, no longer enslaved to sin, when we have no excuse for giving in to temptations. Now, I can assure you, James is stepping on the toes of many people in those verses. When you start telling people they're responsible for their sins, it does not go well. When you tell certain professing Christians, that there is an expectation for righteous living, they call you a legalist. So James is giving us a difficult truth. And then he's addressing our hearts and hearing the word. You see the connection there. Here's a difficult truth. By the way, I know that probably offended you, but let me tell you how you need to hear God's word. So here's the question James is going to answer in this text. How do we listen to the word of God in a way that leads to producing righteousness? Dear friends, we must be sure that our hearts are right in the way we approach hearing the word of God. So this leads to our second heading, which I've titled The Fruit of Pride. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Terms of endearment. Yes, this is hard truth, but but, but my beloved brothers, know this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When we look at these verses in connection with verse 21, we see a bit of a theme. 
In verse 21, James says we are to receive the word with meekness. And in the context, meekness means acting in a manner that is gentle, mild, and even tempered. The opposite of anger. So when we consider these verses together, James appears to be saying that that the way to receive the word with meekness is to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So we have a bit of a contrast. And I believe the contrast is ultimately between pride and meekness, and I will make that point here. So hearing the word with meekness leads to doing the word, as we will see which leads to righteousness. But prideful hearing does not produce righteousness. It doesn't lead to doing the word. So James does not mention the word pride, but I'm convinced this is what he's addressing. And as we will see, the three characteristics he addresses are all manifestations of pride. And they are essentially contrasted with meekness in verse 21, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because this does not produce righteousness. When it comes to hearing the word, being slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger is the opposite of receiving the word with meekness. So James is addressing characteristics of a proud hearer of the word. He starts off, let every man be quick to hear. Quick right here means prompt. Done without delay. So the idea here is eagerness. We are to be eager to hear God's word. Eager to know the truth. To go to Scripture and say, what does the Lord say? You see, when we truly want to live lives that are pleasing to God, we are eager to know how to be obedient to Him in every single situation we face in life. Now let me pose this as a question. Are you eager to hear God's Word? And this means all of God's Word. Dear friends, what is your attitude at this very moment? Are you eager, anxious to to hear the word of God? To to learn new things and be reminded of truths you already know that will help you on your journey to righteous living? Or are you perhaps eager to get out of here? Anxious for me to be quiet and sit down. So that you can go home. And perhaps you say, well, I am eager to learn, but I'm not going to learn anything from this guy. What is he going to teach me? Different, even if my preaching is awful. If I am presenting the word accurately, there is much to gain from it. Not because of my abilities, but because the word of God is powerful. 
Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I can't do that, but the word of God does. So if you came here today thinking, I'm not going to learn anything today, perhaps it has more to do with your eagerness to learn than anything else. Dear friends, the the wise man hears and increases learning. I love what John Gill says. He, He says the wise man will find knowledge where the fool finds none. Are we anxious and eager to hear? But why is it that we are sometimes slow to hear? Why are we not eager to hear God's word? I mean, I mean, let's be real here. All of us face times when, you know what, I wish the preacher would close this now. We all struggle to, to read scripture sometimes and maybe even avoid certain areas of the Bible. Why is it that we struggle with being eager to hear? Well, we can make a long list of this, but let me give you a few, a few possible reasons. Number one, we want to protect our sins. Sometimes we know that there are areas of our lives where we are not living righteously. And we know that the Bible condemns our sins, so what do we do? We ignore those passages, don't we? We skip right over them. If I read that passage this morning, I'm not going to meditate on that. I'm going to let that go straight through my head. I don't have time for that conviction stuff. That, dear friends, is being slow to hear. That should never be our attitude. Or perhaps we are slow to hear because we fear the pain of embarrassment. The pain or embarrassment of change. We don't want to admit that we were wrong. We don't, want to, uh, we don't want to upset people by saying we've changed our views on this. I, I found this to be true in the word of God. But, but if, I, if I do that now, then, then I'm going to have to go and tell everybody I was wrong. So I'm just going to ignore this, get this out of my head, stop dwelling upon this. Hopefully I can forget it. That is not eagerness to hear. And dear friends, this is not a situation where we are necessarily living in, in known sin. But, but sometimes we hear a sermon or we hear someone mention something from the Bible that we have not studied out in detail ourselves. And when we hear that, we say, that might be true. But I don't want that to be true, so I'm not going to search that out. I'm going to just act like I didn't hear that. That should never be our attitude. If there seems to be a, a hint of something that, that someone said from the Bible that, that maybe contradicts my lifestyle, if I am eager to hear the word, I will, I will go and dig up that treasure and say, say, what is this here? We don't want to change. We don't want that conviction. What is the third reason? Well, the third reason we are not eager to hear the word is because We're simply not passionate about conforming every area of our lives 
to the will of God? How many of us are passionate about that? We, we say, there, there's so many things I do on a daily basis. What of these things are not conforming to the will of God? Do we, do we think that way? Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that we are too devotional in our reading of Scripture. And what he meant by that is we, we want to go just into the Word in the morning just to get a little bit of an uplifting Word for our souls. And we approach God's Word that way instead of approaching it with the mindset of what has the God of the universe said to us? He has spoken. And I would add to that, we don't approach the Scripture with the mentality of what does God require of me in this text? What area of my life has not conformed to this text? You see, it is very easy for us to be so comfortable in our lives that most of what we do is a result of tradition instead of Scripture. Why do you do this? I don't know. We've always done this. For, for me, in my journey on, on my views of the Sabbath, I would consider myself a Sabbatarian now, but I did not grow up that way. And, and what happened? Well, why do you observe the Sabbath the way you do? Because this is how I was raised. I've been a Christian for, for, for years, five years, six, seven years before I asked the question, is this right? And afraid that, well, if, I, if this is what it says it is, then this is going to mess my life up a little bit. Maybe I'll just wait to search that out. Slow to hear. Slow to hear. Difference, don't be afraid of letting the word of God change you. If you desire to live a righteous life, you want the word of God to change you. But dear friends, it does not matter why you are not eager to hear. Every reason, I would argue, is rooted in pride. As pride refuses to submit to God's word. God, I know you potentially said this, and I'm, and I'm potentially disobeying that, but I'm not going to search that out. That's pride. I don't care what you said on that, God. The proud man is never eager to hear. So instead of being eager to hear, what is the proud man eager to do? Somebody answer. Talk. James says, be slow to speak. And there's much said in Proverbs about holding our tongues. And there's much said in Proverbs and James about the power of the tongue. So it's true that we ought to be careful with what we say, but I don't think that's what James is addressing here. I think the essence of what James is saying here can be summarized in Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure and understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. No desire to hear. I don't take pleasure in hearing unless it's so that I can express my opinion more. The idea here is that we ought to be eager to listen. And we cannot 
learn while, while, while talking. You see, being quick to hear requires being slow to speak. There's a story of a famous Roman orator, a public speaker. The young man approached him and said, would you please teach me how to be a great speaker? And he just would not be quiet. He just kept talking. And the orator said, okay, I'll teach you how to be a public speaker. But I'm going to have to charge you a double fee. He said, why? He said, because first I'm going to have to teach you to be quiet so that I can teach you how to speak. See, how often do we find ourselves thinking of what we want to say instead of listening to what is being said to us? We don't hear, do we? I can read scripture to you right now, and you're thinking of your response in your head of what you're going to say to me instead of listening to what the Word of God says. That's a side note. How much of our conflict in life comes from this? I can remember one time hearing two people argue. And I'm just, it was driving me crazy. Like, are you guys listening to what you're saying to one another? Because one person says one thing and you don't address that. You just say something totally opposite. Like, you, can, you could just tell there, there's no hearing right now. You're not hearing anything this person has to say. You're just talking. Your conflict could be solved in five minutes if you would listen. See, I don't think the idea is that we need to talk less. Again, I think the idea is that we don't hear because we simply want to speak. Even when we are confronted by others with things pertaining to Scripture, how often do we really listen? How often do we listen? We are always more anxious to respond than to listen. Sadly, we even do this with our Bibles, don't we? We know what our Bibles should say, and that's how we approach them. Do we listen? I can remember having a discussion with someone, and they were telling me about a discussion they were having with with an Armenian friend. And this Armenian friend would just simply ignore any verse that had any type of Calvinistic ring to it. And he would say, well, how do you interpret this verse? I don't know, but it's not what you think it is. Dear friends, this is one of the the reasons I love the Reformed position, because we don't believe there's any contradictions in the Bible. I don't ignore John 3.16 because I'm a Calvinist. I embrace it. I love it. But what happens? What do we do? We say, those verses over there are the Calvinist verses. We don't touch those. We leave those alone. Those are the Arminian verses over there. But but how dangerous is that trap? To approach the word of God that way. I know know this verse is one that, that, that Calvinists use, so I will read over that. I won't think about it. And just know that it doesn't mean what everybody says it means. What is that? Pride. And a slowness to hear. A quickness to speak. I've even heard people say, if Calvinism is true, I will no longer be a Christian. What in the world? 
what kind of pride is that? But, but essentially, what is that? That the Bible needs to say about God what I want it to say about God. Dear friends, if I read my Bible and, and it was true that God was Arminian, but, but I believe Calvinism is true, what, what is my obligation is to submit to whatever the word of God says. Now, I'm not saying that, that we can't come to different conclusions when we read the same verses. But what I am saying is this. If we are ignoring certain parts of scripture, that's a problem. If you read two verses, I had one conversation with a guy. And, and, he, and he's you know, talking about his, his views and, and you give him a verse that, that contradicts that. So instead of answering that, what, what does he say? Well, what about this verse? Well, no. We have to reconcile these two now. We, we can't say, well, these are contradictions, and, and let's see who has more vo- verses on their side. No, we have to reconcile all of this and make it all make sense together. That is being eager to hear. William Grenall said that pride makes a man incapable of receiving counsel. There's no reasoning with a proud man. He castles himself in his own opinion of himself and there stands upon his defense against all arguments that are brought. No reasoning, no teaching, no counsel with a proud man. It's an interesting thing to note that some of the most brilliant theological minds that I've, that I've encountered and met in person are some of the meekest and humblest men I have ever met. And then there are some who know practically nothing, but they think they know everything. James goes on, we ought to be slow to anger. Dear friends, does truth make you angry? When James says that we are the ones responsible for our own sins, Does taking away that excuse make you angry? I told you about Ms. McConnell a few Sundays ago. Went through all the social worker systems and and he just, you know, everybody patted him on the back. You're such a good fellow. You just had a bad upbringing. And then when he started reading the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was ripping to shreds every argument of his. And he said, I hated Paul and wanted to punch him in the face because he took away every excuse I had. Stripped me of every excuse. Difference, that's what the word of God does. But here's the question. Do you meekly submit? Or do you get angry? If you are quick to anger, you will not profit from Scripture the way you should. Why? Because every time the Word challenges you, challenges your beliefs, challenges your lifestyle, you get angry and upset, and you don't listen. You don't hear. It's amazing how angry people can get when you simply quote Scripture. Facebook is notorious for that. You just quote a Bible verse and you're done. And people say, how can you believe that? Like, why would you interpret that that way? I didn't interpret anything. It's just a Bible verse. 
You ever quoted a verse to a homosexual that condemns homosexuality? What happens? Fury is released. I mean, they release the kraken. No, no humble meekness, humble reception of the word of God. No, absolute anger and fury. How dare you say that to me? And don't tell them that God said it, because that makes it even worse. But dear friends, it can be the same way for Christians, can it? How often does someone confront us with biblical truth? And we respond in anger. Has your spouse ever confronted you with biblical truth? And you've responded in anger. Don't bring that truth up to me right now. I know that's true, but, but don't bring that up to me right now. I don't want to hear that right now. Angry response. There's something in human nature that makes us prone to anger. Let me give you a verse. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What a, what, a, what a great truth. But why is that the case? Why does a harsh word stir up anger? Why is that? Because we are prone to anger. You see, we've, we've even invented ways of addressing people to reduce the anger, haven't we? We have the sandwich technique. If I have to confront you with the truth, I need to sandwich it with a compliment on both sides so that you don't feel like I'm attacking you because the moment you feel you are being attacked, you don't care what's being said, you have to defend yourself. So we have to approach people to not release their anger. But this tells us something about our hearts. I've been there. I know the truthfulness of that. My brother in his stage cage of Calvinism would come to me with things and, and he would just let me have it. And even if I knew that, that what he was saying was true, I had to defend myself at that point in time because you came at me wrong. What is that? Anger. But what did that anger do in that moment? It, 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 it literally stopped me from hearing the word which is able to save my soul and to just lash out. And dear friends, what is the cause of such anger? Pride. John Owen said, no wild beast in a toil does more rave and tear and rend than a proud man when he is reproved. He acts like a wild beast. It doesn't matter that it's the Bible reproving him. He's like a wild beast. William Bates said that pride makes men imperious and impatient, boisterous and stormy against all that offend them. It is pride that makes a man get angry when he is confronted, even when he is confronted with the word of God. But dear friends, what is the fruit of such anger? Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our pride causes us to be slow to hear, quick to speak, and it causes us to be quick to anger. And such anger does not produce righteousness. 
How many times have you been angry at your spouse and it led to righteousness? I'm so upset right now, but but that's just going to make me love you even more. That's not how that works, is it? We lose all rationality when we are angry. What does anger produce? Sin. When our hearts are filled with anger and motivated by pride, we don't think about pleasing God, do we? Our anger does not lead us to being patient and understanding with others. It does not lead us to thinking about what is the most glorifying thing to God in this situation. How many times have you thought about that in the midst of your rage? I'm so upset, so angry right now. What is the most glorifying thing to do? No, we don't, we don't act that way. Listen to Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger abounds in transgression. One given to anger abounds in transgression. Not righteousness, but transgression. A a, a man quick to anger does not receive the word the way he should, and instead he abounds in sin. And now is this to say that all anger is bad? No, we know there is an exception. There is a such thing as righteous anger, but what is the difference? I love what Christopher Morgan in his Theology of James says. He says that godly anger is focused on sin and controlled in its expression. Ungodly anger, however, is linked to human pride and self-will. That's the difference. Anger that arises from pride is driven by self-will and is not concerned about pleasing God. The prideful man does not listen. He's quick to speak and is angered quickly. And such actions do not lead to righteousness. Dear friends, if we want to produce righteousness, we must be quick to hear. Eager to hear God's word. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Or in the words of verse 21, which we will cover next week, we must receive the word with meekness. So do you see the clear distinction here between pride and meekness and hearing the word? If you are proud, you are not eager to hear the word. You are quick to express your own opinion and you are easily angered and this leads to sin. But if you receive the word with meekness, being eager to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, you'll be a doer of the word and produce righteousness. Dear friends, may we be meek hearers of the word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word that that knows our hearts inside and out. We thank you for the power of your word in exposing our sins and leading us to righteousness. 
Help us to love truth. Help us to truly say with David, Oh, how I love your law, O God. It is my meditation both night and day. Father, may it be true of us. May we be eager hearers, receiving your word with all meekness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.